Hello and welcome to the Two Trees Podcast. We're here to talk about angels, demons, ghosts, the pagan gods, and the weird corners of the Bible. We're here to talk about the beliefs of the ancient world, the way that they talked about the supernatural world, all to help you understand the people and the context of the Bible. We hope to be able to engage in a deeper level with the text of Scripture, but more important than any of that, we're hoping to show you Jesus as Deuteronomy 10.17 describes him. The Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, mighty and awesome. If you're thinking to yourself, man, you guys sound weird today, that's because we don't have our soundboard, we don't have our mics. What we do have is a really cool lounge in a hotel in Jerusalem. And that's where we're at. We've been wandering all day. Our friend just got back from an adventure. And uh, we've been up and everyone is super, super tired. But we wanted to make sure we had content to put out for you guys, my friends. Uh, and um, just why don't you guys take a minute and introduce yourselves. I'm here. This is Pastor John. And I'm here with my good friend Jacob Kessling. What's up, guys? My friend Jeremy. Hello. And his wife, Rosemary. It's Rosemary, guys. Not Roseanne, not Rosalie. She really likes it when you just choose Rose and then a random ending for her She name. does not like that, actually, at all. But, uh, you know. I think she does. But that's okay. Neither here nor there. We are in Jerusalem. John, you've been out wandering. You just, like, now got back. We tried to record and you came storming in, yes. giggling. Uh, what, what was your thoughts? Speak up loud because we just have the one mic. I don't know. It was amazing. You we loved had, it? We thought about spending the night at the Holy Sepulchre. Yeah? That did not work out. Because you got hand. you got, you got got super holy? Yeah. We got the jitters and decided to Your leave. Your feet got super cold. Yeah. I'd say yeah. good cold. Yeah. Well, I never knew these people until a few days ago, but they're rising high on my favorite list. And so I thought we would invite them onto the podcast as we continue our discussion on the way that the Bible uses the imagery of water in Scripture. And if there is one thing we have learned in our tour of Israel, that if you go to a holy site or a supposed site, the one thing they want to show you is the cistern. Yeah, every time. <laughs> like, immediately, yes. they're like, forget the Bible stories. These guys had a killer cistern. Yes. And come this way. We want, How many cisterns do you think we've seen? Uh, how many towns have we I'm been to? I'm guessing five at least it's like every place we've yeah. been where there is one they're like quickly yes come and be amazed and at my this cistern hole. is bigger than your cistern every <laughs> yeah. time cisterns and mikvahs mikvahs all over the place a mikvah is a ritual bath and if you don't know what a cistern is just google it uh, or come to the holy lands because they are everywhere yeah so we've been talking about the positive use of the the image of water and how important it is to life here in the Holy Land. It only rains two months out of the year here. That's all the rain you're going to get all year. And they store it up in cisterns. And the biblical cultures loved rain. It was a, a time to celebrate in the winter when the rainy season came around. And they collected it from everywhere that they could. And they used that picture as a way of talking about the grace and the goodness of God. And the Bible's pretty clear on this. Jesus talks about living waters. He talks about the fountains. He talks about Eden as a place where one river breaks into four rivers and waters the corners of the world. But not all water brings life. Some water is dangerous or deadly. Uh, salt water or marshes and all sorts of creepy things. And so the image of water in scripture can either be positive or it can be negative. And you tell that by the context as you're reading it. There isn't one definition for this. Mm -hmm. And as you're reading it, if it feels like, wow, this is really positive, that's because it is. It's, it's the way that life comes into these places. But it's also a way to bring death. If you're in a place without water or like down in the Dead Sea, you're mm -hmm. in a place surrounded by water, but it will kill anything that it touches. That kind of, um, of world, they looked at that with supernatural lenses on and they thought to themselves, why? What makes this water different from that water? Now, obviously they knew it was salty, but I don't think they were doing 
chemistry tests and that kind of thing to we, figure out how this works. We could ask John because I think he went underwater in the Dead Sea and he instantly, Did you taste the water of the Dead Sea? regretted it. Yes, it burned. It's, very much. It burns. The ring of fire. Very the, much. What I was thinking was um, the comparison of that spring and in Yeti, I think. Um, you could drink it straight out of your hand and it was good. It actually tasted the good compared to the Dead Sea, even though they're actually fairly close in proximity. Right. And did you notice how the water in Engedi was hidden? Yes. Like, you had to really work hard to... You could hear it, but you couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. And then as you pursued it, it just popped out of nowhere. Uh, and, And there were times and places where you could understand how a people trying to describe unseen supernatural powers would go to that sort of hidden stream as a way of describing those things. And you could see life that it brought. It was green in the desert, there were ferns, there yeah. was beauty. You could tell it's here mm-hmm. somewhere, yeah. but until you're right up on it, you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you do, it's obvious, like, oh, <laughs> here's the waterfall. We've been hearing it, but we had no idea where it was. So not all water brings life, and the Bible uses water either as a symbol for life-giving power or as a way of talking about chaos, the powers of sin. Um, and actually, we, we start that image all the way back in the book of Genesis, the very beginning part of Genesis chapter 1. Uh, w- would you read that for me, somebody? It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. We're going to stop there. So the earth is without form, without vo- without shape, and darkness is over the deep. That's supposed to sound creepy. It sounds like a place that's unwelcoming to anybody. Mm-hmm. That if you were to see it, it would be visually dark, um, dangerous. And the idea that's actually there is swirling waters without any shores for things to go on. It just was water in its most dangerous form. And then what happens? Keep reading. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then things get great. God starts bringing order out of chaos. And so the ancient peoples knew right away that water could be great or it could be deadly, and the Bible talks about it both ways. Here, the waters are made by God, and sometimes God uses his power to harness chaos. And not just waters, but the events of our life sometimes feel chaotic. And so when we talk about God using his power over chaos, they would describe that in terms of water, that the Lord is the God over many waters. Mm -hmm. And so when the Bible talks about things like the sea, the oceans, it's almost always bad. When you read in the book of Daniel or Revelation, you've got these giant monsters that pop up out of the sea. Mm -hmm. You never find them popping up out of springs of living water. It's always the oceans, the seas. Mm -hmm. And so when you're reading the scriptures and you notice it's talking about the seas, in the back of your head should be a little note. Hey, this is probably not going to be a positive thing. But when God's power is over the waters, he is bringing about goodness and life and love and beauty because that's what he does. He goes into places that are chaos and he brings out goodness, places that we can live in his presence. So you guys have been wandering around the hillsides here in Israel for a couple days. Um, How has their view of water been evident to you? Were there places or moments where you thought, that you understood the way that the ancients were visualizing water better because you could see it? Well, for me, um, as you do see in in scriptures, is that uh, typically if there is a well or something, that's that's where they would build their lives around. So if there was no water source, it really was impossible Mm -hmm. to raise flocks or herds, to water any kind of vegetation. So it's impossible to live um, out and a lot of these parts without some kind of water source. So unless you're able to trap it through the two months, two months of rain, or you're yeah. able to find a 
water source like a spring. There's some weird spots where water's coming out of places you wouldn't think they would come out of. But mm. um, but if you just tend to live around those water sources, so unless God creates one or there is a natural one, um, you're you're not going to last long. Mm -hmm. So. I, that's where you find a lot of that stuff happening, but it seems like mankind learned how to channel water and move mm -hmm. water and tunnel water. Did you notice that no one here seems to be living on the rivers? That's yeah. That was that's very strange. I did not notice they don't. That. They turn them into parks and nature walks and um, all that good stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, so yeah, they, they they built there, but then today when they take you there, the first thing they point out everywhere is water and the sound of water. Mm. Like, yeah, our, our guides have made a. In the United States, we have houses all trimmed around all the waterways and boats and yeah. docks. And, and I think that was common in the ancient world. They built cities on rivers. But here in the Holy Land, you don't find that. The The towns are up on the mountains. They're, they're far away from the rivers. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for springs. Mm -hmm. And now I remember all the times in the Bible it talks about as the deer pants for the waters. It's, mm -hmm. it's this beautiful way of talking about the goodness of God. Or it was a spring, and they decided, hey, this is a spring, let's build a tower over it, then we'll build a tunnel. I'm thinking of Hezekiah's tunnel. Ah, uh, yeah, yesterday. trying I mean, to the bring order. The spring's clear at the bottom, and they mm. had a whole tower fortress built around it and over it. Why would you build a tower over water, a fortress? What, what does that tell you? It's important, and you want to protect it. Defense. Yeah, this is worth dying for. Right. This is worth fighting for. It's mm -hmm. a treasure. Uh, our tour guide, his name is Yaksuk. And, and he keeps saying, do you hear the music of the mm -hmm. water? And, and it's really interesting. He says that in Hebrew culture, at least in his family, uh, they don't call it the sound of running water. They call it the music mm -hmm. of, of running water. And, and I think that's very beautiful. It is beautiful. I agree. And so you also have moments where we've seen some, some nasty water. And it was pretty clear that this is not a safe place. These are dangerous places to go. Mm -hmm. And unless something were to act on that water, it would stay the same way. For instance, the Bible uses the image of judgment and death. And the symbol of that is water, the flood waters, right? I knew right? you were going to bring up the flood. That cover the earth. That's not positive. Mm -hmm. That's not happy rain showers and people dancing in puddles. Mm -hmm. That's the wrath of God being poured out over all the earth. And so we have this concept of positive waters but also we have the idea that the evil of the world the power of death is also present in certain types of waters or you could look at it like the flood was cleansing the evil from the earth which is a good thing yeah, it's Pastor a good thing, John. except for you and I are not the good things on the earth. We are not. If the Lord were to remove all the sin from the world, mm. my big problem is I sin. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think God could definitely just wipe away all life, but that removes the element of redemption. Even the idea of the ark is that it hovered over the waters, that the Lord was with them, and he brings life through these things. Mm -hmm. And so there are a couple places in the Bible where we see this negative motif of waters used. Uh, and one of them is in Psalm chapter 42 and verse 7. So why don't you guys take a minute uh, and take a look at that and tell me what you think about it. The flipping of pages. I was going to say, it might take me a while in my gigantic Bible, but I'll get there. Yeah, her Bible is mostly bulletins from what we can tell. Oh, she it's has... more than that. It's baby shower invitations and mementos of the Holy I Land. I think there's even an olive branch in there, there is somewhere. An olive branch Which in was there. totally not taken from the Garden of Gethsemane. It was not. Hey, it they was... said, don't touch the trees. This just not. fell off into her Bible. It did. So go, go ahead and read that one for me, somebody. Verses 5 through 7. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, and from the land of Mount Mazar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. Mm. So you've been to Mount Hermon. You've mm -hmm. seen the waters of the Jordan. How do you see the psalmist using the imagery of water in this text? Hmm. 
Well, for one thing, he says he's deeply discouraged. But then when he remembers him from the distant Mount Hermon, which to be fair, I thought was pronounced Hermon, but I've got that kicked out of me here. And that's the source of the Jordan. And I think we even stood there and they said, this is where the Jordan begins. And yeah. you look down and you're kind of like, really? You know? I think you're on the, I mean, I, I see the same thing in the sense of the same way that this Mount Hermon and this melting snow, the mm -hmm. snow caps are coming down and feeding the Jordan. It was beautiful. Is he's, he's looking at God being his source of life and his source mm -hmm. of water, of sustenance. of. So I think, yeah, I think you're on that. That's what I see as well when you send that. Well, I also think you need to go to verse 8. It says, But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to the God who gives me life. So there's a contrast here mm -hmm. of God bringing joy out of sorrow. Mm -hmm. So what is it that's washing over this man? It's not the joy of the Lord. It's the sorrow. It's the deep rolling over me. It's, I think your version said the, the ocean or the seas. Raging the seas. raging seas. That, that's not happy sounding. That's a description of depression. Mm -hmm. of someone who is just cast down, oh my soul, why are you so troubled in me? And it it's, describes the roar of waterfalls. But when he remembers the Lord, mm -hmm. suddenly he finds peace. Mm -hmm. He's able to rise above these things. And so don't be in such a hurry to move past it, but really dwell on the idea. And I think anyone out there who struggles with depression, I know I do, um, and I'm on medication for it, and I don't mind telling people that. Uh, but part of my hope is in knowing that God is with me. It isn't, it's not wrong for me to be depressed. It's wrong for me not to fight. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm being pushed against by these, these waters that just wash me away. And I need something to hold on to. And so when I read verses like this, it's not that the waters are the blessing. It's that God is the blessing. The waters here are being described like something trying to wash me away from the presence of the Lord. What jumps out to you, Jacob? I, I mean, I pointed my side out. I was thinking about as far as looking at, I, I just see, and I'm looking at it from a positive standpoint. I was looking at this first part of it. Why are you so downcast on my soul? Why are you in turmoil, turmoil within me? And not having a reason as to why his soul is in such a place, meaning that I'm just sad or I'm, like you said, depressed, and I, there's no reason for it. I, I was just, I, I was looking at that for a moment, too, while you were talking, just because I think there are times where I, I can get that way, and there's nothing, everything's going fine around me, but I just, there's a sense of, like, I don't know, darkness or sadness or whatever. Yeah, there's um, a force at work against yeah. me. And it is trying to sweep me away. I need to have my feet, I think the psalmist also says, planted on a rock. Mm -hmm. I want to get my feet underneath me. Mm -hmm. And when you're down, it's hard to do that. You need something stronger than yourself. And this isn't, you know, David doesn't lack the understanding that God is a source of joy and hope and, and again, refreshment. But it doesn't change the fact that he's in this space right now. And what I think is cool is that he feels fine to share this with the Lord to write this down to and I think this is a great thing meaning it's okay to feel this way it's mm -hmm. okay and to know that God meets you right in this place right and um, not to feel bad sad about it uh, and it sounds terrible to say don't feel sad about being sad but um, I don't know I, I just grew up kind of thinking that people who are depressed aren't really trusting in God and, mm -hmm. you know, why aren't you joyful? Because you're supposed to have joy in the Lord. But here's David, who's a man after God's own heart, who's in this place and for no reason, from what I understand here. Yeah. And I just, I know this isn't where we're going with the water thing, but. No, just, but that's his question. Why are you downcast? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would like to be above this. Yeah. I'm not. And sometimes we can go into the Bible and look for the super spiritual answer to the extent that we forget that human beings are human beings. And the Bible talks to us as we are. It's not about pretending that we don't have failures. It's not about pretending that depression isn't real. It's about understanding that overcoming these things 
is what God is bringing about in me. Mm-hmm. His presence is with me. He hovers over the waters of chaos, just like he did at creation in my moments of trouble and trial. Mm-hmm. And so the poets are walking around this idea and they're playing with it in different ways. Sometimes it's a blessing and sometimes it's a curse. Uh, mm-hmm. A rain shower is great. We got some farmers here uh, on our trip and you know, rain is great until there's too much. Mm-hmm. You know, there's got to be the right amount of things and then things get bad. Uh, we were at a place called Arad and we saw Uh, We were out in the Negev kind of desert area, and all of a sudden there was a lot of water Mm -hmm. all in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be dangerous. And so they knew that. They literally lived in a world without automobiles and cell phones and and quick access to answers. And so to them, these pictures were alive in a way that it's Mm -hmm. not for us. And so when we're reading Scripture, I think it, it adds so much to enter into the imagery that's being used in the text and trying to understand it because they use it in different ways. Sometimes water isn't just used to describe the forces of chaos or blessings, but water can also be used as a way to describe the dead. They knew that if they dug a well down in the ground, there was water. They didn't know where that came from. Magic. Magic. Some sort of other world where the water came from. Mm -hmm. And so you'll find that they didn't always build fortresses around the water. Sometimes they built temples around the water. Nice segue to Caesarea Philippi. Is this where we're going with this? This is where we're going with that. That's where we're going with this. So I took my friends here up to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which has been a sacred site as long as humanity has known about the thing. And, and it's a place where they worshiped the gods of the darkness, the gods of chaos. Uh, and, uh, and let me tell you a little bit of the story here. There is a, a god called Pan, P-A-N. And his name is the root of the word panic for just excessive fear that he was able to bring about in people. And... Um, Pan was really the god of unbridled emotion, everything wild, and however you felt is how you felt. You were to act like an animal. And there were some pretty horrific uh, sexual things taking place there on the slopes of Mount Hermon, which connects to all the Nephilim giant stuff. But when you get there, it's a place of running waters that spring up out of the deep out of this cave that they believed was an entryway to hell. And so we, obviously, uh, were going to this place. And so the first thing we did was go to a really cool little cafe on the waters, right? Where we got to eat either shawarma or falafel. Yeah, that's your choices. That's what we eat here. Yeah, falafel or shawarma. So what did you guys think of it? Did did it feel like a normal place when you were there? The falafel or the shawarma? No, the falafel was normal. The falafel was okay. (laughs) Uh, I had the shawarma, but I also stole some falafel from a friend. Way to Uh, go, Pastor. I know. It was, it had to be done. Uh, But Have you ever ate on top of waters like that before? Everywhere you went, there was running water. No, it was beautiful right there, actually. It's kind of ironic that it's a temple to such evil because it was so pretty. Not just running, more like rushing. It Mm -hmm. wasn't just flowing. I mean, you could actually hear it. It It was was, very loud. There was turmoil. You know what I mean? The music of the water was was wild. It was very It it didn't have a soft relaxing feel to it Mm -hmm. you got this sense of under the ground is this rushing water Mm -hmm. and it's springing up all around us so ancient peoples in a place like that would draw the connection again to the unseen world around them they didn't know where the waters came from they came from beneath the earth and it spurred in their mind that there must be spirits here who are also unseen and they worshiped them there. They believed that down in that cave, if you crawled down through the waters, you would come to the gates of the underworld itself. And uh, it was a very, very evil place. Uh, the god Pan is worshiped there. Also, uh, a nymph named Echo. Uh, 
is worshipped there. Uh, and she's really interesting. Do you guys know Echo's story? It just so happens that I Googled her. Did you? Very shortly before this podcast. Oh, so I, I am the excellent. resident expert on Echo. So, but really, you go ahead. No, do you, what, what did you think about her story? It was strange and weird and kind of fun. So I never, like it. Never knew where the term echo strange, came weird, from. Strange, weird, and kind of fun. That, yeah. How does that go together? Somebody should give us a five-star review and say that strange, weird, and kind of fun. That's our goal for this episode. You should rename the podcast. Strange, the weird, echo. and kind of fun. Yeah, I like right. it. I, I think yeah. it would be a good one. Uh, echo, we, we use the word echo all the time to mean that noise that comes back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, echo in Greek myth is a, a nymph, a goddess of the waters. And uh, there was a god named Zeus uh, who was really into the ladies, okay? He was chasing women wherever he could find them. And this one goddess, Hera, who is his wife, uh, thinks that Zeus is fooling around with this really beautiful nymph named Echo. And she curses her and she takes her voice away from her. And the only thing that she is able to say is to repeat whatever someone says to her. And so if you go to the edge of the underworld and you call down into the cave, you may hear her call back out of the depths of the darkness, which is a creepy story. Mm-hmm. Like, like that takes the whole echo thing to another level as far as to us, it's just sound waves. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any sort of spiritual connection to it. But to hear a voice that sounds like you, mm-hmm. saying what you said, calling to you. And her story really echoes around the idea of come to me. Nice one. Luring you down in into sense. the deep. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever I have the opportunity to yell into a cave, I always say something stupid like um, <laughs> echo. Shawarma. <laughs> Shawarma. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to remember something profound, but I, I never do. Uh, but that story comes from that place, as far as I can understand from Mm. what was told to me, Mm. that it was a place where they were trying to connect with the powers of darkness. We also know that the ancient peoples considered water to be connected with the dead. In the book of Job, Job 26, verses 5 through 6, it says, "...the dead tremble under the waters." And the inhabitants of hell are naked before God. Abaddon has no covering. And Abaddon is going to make an appearance later in the book of Revelation, Hmm. springing up out of a pit where there are lots of demonic powers here. But for us, when we think water, we just think, you know, this is my preferred brand and I like water. And maybe, you know, I'll take a hot shower when I get back. It'd be nice if it sparkles. Sparkling water, you know, we like these things. But to the ancient world, all of these things were infused with meaning. Mm -hmm. And Caesarea Philippi was the embodiment of that, that idea of crossing into a special place, an other world. Mm -hmm. And you can see why people who were searching for waters would be impressed with a place like Caesarea Philippi. The opening to that, that um, the gates of hell, if you will, just looked creepy, period. Like, even if I don't know the story and I was walking up on it, I would have mm-hmm. been like, where that cave a little bit was, like yeah, it was grotto. odd. It was yeah. just kind of like, it really, I mean, I guess you'd call it a cave, but it wasn't a cave like you walk in and lose yourself. It was just more of a hollow. Mm-hmm. And then there's just like water coming out of it, almost like a mouth. Yeah, that's exactly it what it looked like. It looked like a big, like a big yeah. mouth with teeth almost. I mean, if you looked at it in a weird way. I'm amazed. I meet people who see it and they think it's really beautiful. And then I'll meet people who see it and they are creeped out by it. Almost as though they're picking up the vibes of the place. Yeah. And, and I think that both experiences are what the Bible's trying to do. Water is a beautiful thing. But this water was turned into a symbol. And to be in that place where sacrifices were made to the dark, mm-hmm. where witchcraft and the occult were uh, the order of the day, mm-hmm. is a really creepy thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know more about Caesarea Philippi because Jesus goes there. Mm-hmm. And on the map, it looks like it's about two miles away. We took the drive oh, in a bus. Oh my golly gosh. How it's- long do you think it took him to get there? 
I, I walking? Yeah, walking. I mean days. I'm not great yeah. with walking. I'm numbers. gonna say two to three. Probably yeah. after after seeing this land, the landscape here. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine like, hey, let's go over there, which probably could be yeah. five miles as the, the crow flies. The word as the crow flies. I was gonna say <laughs> does then not be apply. Like, nah, I'm not gonna go. I mean, there's so many it's hills, hills or valleys. If you do the and, valleys, or you, yeah. it's gonna be even twice as long or three times as long. So when you're reading the Gospels, it's just like the next episode. The Bible is not the size of a flannel board. I will say that. It's just, it's oh, not, that's one know. of my favorite things is yeah. the taking away of the flannel graph. I think you might have mentioned that earlier. And trip, seeing but, it yeah. in real life is different mm -hmm. because it isn't that Jesus just accidentally ends up at Caesarea Philippi. Mm -hmm. Jesus was making a statement. He had something to mm -hmm. do and something to say. And he chose that place because it was infused with meaning. It was a place connected with the very heart of darkness. Mm -hmm. And so let's look at the Gospel of Matthew. I feel like we're going really fast here. I need to just slow down and enjoy this conversation with you guys. Matthew 16 is where we're at, uh, 13 through 20. And if one of you would read that strongly into our microphone What'd here. What would you say, Matthew 16 what? Uh, 13 through 20. Mm, you're probably not gonna prove of my version, but I will read. That's all right. Did you say 13? Uh-huh. Let's see. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Yeah, keep going. Uh, then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. All right, we'll stop right there. Now, this is interesting. The Son of Man is Jesus's favorite expression to describe himself. And it comes out of the book of Daniel, chapter 7. In the book of Daniel, you have an instance where Daniel sees someone like a son of man who rides the clouds into the heavens and is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's this really strong messianic passage. And so when Jesus tells him, I am the son of man, he's, he's testing his followers here to see if they're understanding what he's saying. But this isn't Jesus just saying, I'm just a guy like you are. Mm -hmm. He's identifying himself here as the Messiah. And he says, who do people say that I am? And Peter, who I love because he always says the wrong thing, mm -hmm. finally says the right thing. And, and what was it that he said? You are what? The son of the living God. You are the son of the living God. That's a way of saying you're God. Mm -hmm. You are the expression, the image of God. And, and that, in the very presence of Pan, within the, the cave of the gate of the underworld, that image becomes important because that's what the Gospels are trying to show you. Mm -hmm. That Jesus is not just a man, but that he is God in a way that these beings aren't. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Jeremy. Well, I'm just curious when he's doing that. Do you think all these other temples were there at the same time? Because you left that out. You have this mouth, this creepy-looking cave with uh -huh. water spewing out of it. And then you had, I don't even remember what they all were, but it was, what, two or three or four separate, right side by side with, you know, the niches and the walls and mm -hmm. the foundations and the pillars. And each one was two. Yeah. yeah, there were dozens of statues there, mm -hmm. yeah. and altars were being made, and sacrifices, and sexual ceremonies performed. It was an evil place, especially during Jesus' lifetime. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it was at its height when Jesus was there. Right, so he's not just saying this in front of one thing. I mean, this is like to a mass crowd. If of... ever there was a place, and, and we've talked about the logic of idolatry on this podcast before, that an idol isn't just a stone but it's a stone that someone has invited a spirit to dwell in. Mm -hmm. And so it's a possessed object. In the presence of his enemies, mm -hmm. the Lord has prepared for him a table. It's that Psalm 23 concept that even amongst his enemies, Jesus is not afraid. He goes there, I think, specifically because of that. This is the front door if you want to think of it, of the powers of darkness. And he beats on the door and says, I just wanted you to know mm -hmm. what's going on mm -hmm. and that I have no fear of you whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the very next story in the gospel account here is a demon possession story mm -hmm. 
that comes along. This is a, the text showing you the power of Jesus over these beings, over the spiritual darkness, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Would you read on to the next verse? You ever find it interesting, though, like with the, the other 11, or if he's with more disciples than just the 12? I know sometimes we say disciples and we just assume he's with 12, but a lot of times they have a larger group of people that were his disciples. But none of them really say anything. Chosen. I mean, in the midst of where they're at, the, 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 their silence somehow should should speak something to us, mm-hmm. or their lack of saying, or, or lack of recording of anything they're saying, just mm-hmm. what Peter's saying. And I don't know if it, perhaps it was intimidating in sitting in this t- this type of environment, knowing what it meant to mm. be able to speak yeah, out and yeah. proclaim who he is. But Simon's the only one courageous enough to speak up, which, again, very interesting to me. We, we make fun of him for getting out of the boat and falling into the water, but we never talk about the 11 who never got out. Oh, I don't make fun of him. Can you imagine? He was the only one that had enough guts to get out of the We're boat. We're going to get to that story next. Yes. Don't, don't right. jump well, off of this one. But to back up, they were all Jews. I can't yeah. imagine being in a more unclean place, which if you've looked yeah. at all these, what do they call them, the, the, the mitzvahs? mitzvahs? Yeah. The ritual you know, cleansing All these bath? ritual baths and even like... All the public bathrooms and the sinks and our hotel quit serving beer because it's going to be Passover. I mean, they were so hung up on clean and unclean yeah. that I can't imagine them. I just for even me, wanting to be there. Basically, if we if we understand that that the ancients believed that these gods had power, these places had power. I can imagine that it would be a little bit intimidating, even walking with Jesus. Mm. To speak out in this environment, in this yeah. area, and yet mm-hmm. this is happening. This and again, like when we move this and see this this passage in this place as a declaration of war, mm-hmm. this changes things. Well, and for that's me. exactly what this is: is a declaration of war. Now, let me ask you: How easy would it have been for the authors to just leave out the Caesarea Philippi part? Oh yeah, they very, don't have to tell no, you where easy. this happened. It's a little embarrassing, like you said, for a Jewish rabbi to be anywhere close to this place Mm -hmm. is wrong. And so you can imagine that somebody trying to like like buff up Jesus's image a little bit (laughs) might like place it somewhere different. The fact that they put it there and the authors weren't afraid to tell you this should show you that they're trying to emphasize a point. Mm -hmm. And that's that the location and the waters Mm -hmm. Add to the story. Don't just push past names because you don't understand it. You have at your fingertips this amazing tool called Google. Hmm. Click on it and put up the image. It will explain these things to you. And wasn't this the first time that Jesus actually said this? I mean, he's planting a flagpole right there. Yeah. You know, he's he's wanting he, or maybe he doesn't say it, but he actually asks the question and gets that answer. Right. Yeah, Jesus. This is the very, very first point. Rarely gives answers. Mm-hmm. He asks questions. Right. He's Socratic. He is Socratic mm-hmm. in his method, and so these guys have followed him to the very gates of hell which is what they called that place. Now, the next line is beautiful. Go ahead and keep reading. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Keep going. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of hell. That phrase is literally the gates Mm -hmm. of hell. Now, all the powers of hell makes total sense, too, Mm -hmm. because who's in those statues all around him? The powers. They're empowered. The powers. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. But this place is literally the gates. And so the idea of storming the gates is not passive. It's active. Mm -hmm. We're not on the defensive against the darkness. Light drives out darkness. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just wait for the darkness to limp off. Mm -hmm. We'll just mind our business over here in our corner. Mm -hmm. Jesus, as a matter of fact, goes beyond that. He says a city that's set on a hill can't be hid. It shines. You're the light of the world. Over and over he uses this kind of an image. But how powerful is this image? Yeah. Essentially, he walked up there with these guys and said, all right, boys, game on. That's a, And from this point on, if you're reading the Gospels, you'll notice he's making a beeline to Jerusalem mm-hmm. to be crucified. You ever notice, like, this is just going back, and I'm just trying to maybe string a 
pearl or two or something. I, just when Jesus says, it's not yet time, it's not yet time. I feel like, you know, again, there's little whispers and there's people he's talking to, but like, this seems like a, a you know, again, like like we were just saying that there, there's a, now a, a flag in the sand. I'm, I'm, I'm declaring war against the powers. That's exactly what it is. And we still do this when we enter into the waters of baptism. The waters symbolize death. Um, we uh, here at the table have a couple of different traditions of baptism, uh, but none of our traditions enable us to breathe under the water. Hmm. If you are dwelling under the water, that's bad. Mm-hmm. You need to come up to rise again and to walk in newness of life. Mm-hmm. It's that image of death, burial, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Water can be a blessing, but in the baptism story, The waters symbolize the chaos waters, the waters of Mm -hmm. death. And we purposefully go down into the water to Mm -hmm. call out our loyalty to the God who hovers over the waters and lifts us up out of our deaths. Mm -hmm. And it's about this loyalty, this love of God and the knowledge that we can't do this ourselves. Mm It must be the Lord who leads us. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, which build it. Now, you mentioned a really great story a minute ago, Jeremy, about water. And it connects back to the story of the primacy of of Peter, to Jesus's walking on the water and Peter jumping out of the boat. And this will be a good story to land the plane on. Uh, So let's let's jump then to the gospel uh, of Matthew. I'm kind of trying to stay in Matthew. You can find these in other Gospels, but this is a fun one. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Jacob, would you get with the program here, buddy? What are you doing? I'm reading. You're TikToking. Candy Crush. It's not not candy. It's a a text message. I'm just impressed you weren't Pokemoning, so I guess I'll take what I can get. Is that still a thing? It is for Jacob. Go ahead and lean into the microphone here. And, and read that as strong as you can. Gosh, I'm collecting the unseen. Where are we starting at? <laughs> uh, verse 22 through 33. I'm going to stop okay. you a couple times, but we're going we're gonna to hit this. Go okay, ahead. verse 22 starts. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Now, we're going to stop. So you guys who have been there with me, can you visualize this? Oh, I can visualize the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is beautiful, and all around it are hills. Mm -hmm. We're not talking mountains like Rocky Mountains. No, this is friendly and beautiful. It is very mm. friendly is a good word yeah. to yeah, describe. Tall hills, you're tall welcome. hills. Yeah. They're they're steep, welcoming, yeah. rocky. Guys, we're gonna stick with. In friendly. today's age, lots of nightclubs. Friendly hills. And Jacob and I became friends <laughs> Apparently. there, so yes. that works. Yes, yes. it yes. is where this friendship began. Yes. On the seas no, of the it, lake. It began a little rocky. But yes, it did. <laughs> it ended, but then it became friendly. Friendly hills. <laughs> yes. And all was well. Jesus goes up and he sends everyone away. This is lonely. No one is with him. The disciples are out on the water. And what happens? It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the waters. Okay, we're going to stop there. Wow. Can you see this? Yes, I can. I'm sorry, this would creep me out. Yeah. I mean. It would terrify them, too. So the Sea of Galilee doesn't get big waves. It gets little waves that move very fast. And so it's kind of like running on a treadmill the wrong direction uh, or an escalator, if if you want to remember a really great moment a little bit ago. That was not great. It was wonderful. (laughs) Jacob ran the wrong way down the escalator. Uh, But they're not getting anywhere. I had an instance once I was out in a canoe on a lake and the wind was blowing the wrong direction, and it was hard, Mm -hmm. even just on this little lake. And so these guys are in a boat, there's a bunch of them, so they're riding low in the water, and they're just having a hard time getting across. It's the middle of the night, and they see a figure come out of the darkness moving towards them. Now, I don't know if there's light from the moon or the starlight, or whether Jesus is pulsing light here a little bit, 
but anytime you're in the dark and you see a figure moving towards you, that's scary, especially if there shouldn't be a figure moving towards you. So understanding how the ancients viewed waters, if you saw a shape of a human rising up out of the waters, you would immediately connect that to the dead. Mm-hmm. That's just the way that they taught, and they thought about this. So Peter's not an idiot. This isn't where you say, if he had more faith mm-hmm. and just knew that. I mean, what what a ridiculous thing to say. It's not like he expected to see Jesus coming. No, he expects Jesus to take the road yeah, and to meet them over there. Or take another boat. Or take another boat. Well, yeah. and he well, didn't really jump anything. out and, and walk on water. I mean, Jesus trying to remember that he, um, to him. he, yeah, he calls, calls to him. him so he announces himself so in in ancient mythology the the dead don't uh, try, try to think of how to say this if something's walking on the waters that's a god that, that's not just like some ghost was like out rambling around in the <laughs> evening if something has the ability it's broken Shaking free Marley. Yeah, ghosts ghosts haunted pits and caves, and they were like shadow-type things. This appears to be one of the great powers moving across the face of the water, and they are losing their mind because they've been around this stuff. They've seen the demonic. They've seen the powers of darkness, and they don't have Jesus with them. Mm -hmm. And if ever there was a moment when I think they wanted Jesus to be with them, this would have been one of it. This is a story which we read almost comically, which should have an element of terror and horror Mm -hmm. to it, to watch a figure rise out of the darkness, walking across the water. And I have to imagine he's beelining for their boat. Like, mm-hmm. it's coming for us. Well, I don't think he was on a stroll around the lake edge or anything. I mean, I think he was... When you read the Mark account, it, mean, ta- it talks as though he was going to just walk by them. Mm-hmm. Like, his intention wasn't to walk to them, mm-hmm. but to walk by them and meet them on the other side. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's right. very interesting, but, um, yeah, the fact that they see him... I, I'd love to think that there was, like, a, a, a moon. Because I mean, when you're... When you're on one side of the Sea of Galilee, you can see the other side. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like it's far. But mm-hmm. I mean, I know it, it's, what, seven miles wide? Yeah, and there, there were lights in the villages along the side. You, you could see across But it across doesn't look it. impossible. So, like, I mean, for me, I mean, even the winds uh, that, that go at you, the, the locals here say that whenever there's a storm coming, they literally take all the boats off. Mm-hmm. They get them docked. It's just way too Yeah, it's dangerous. not the size of the waves. It's, it's how fast yeah. they're moving. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that it's really it's going to mess your stuff up. We were, well, and it's not very wide, so no, they, so they have saying, a lot yeah. of power. It's a, a little bit like Lake Erie, you know. They it's not deep enough, so when those waves get real big, like there's times where you can actually see right. the bottom. I just don't want people visualizing like some of the Atlantic. No, well, that's uh, right. I would yeah. yeah. the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. I'm thinking you can't see the other side, yeah. and perhaps it's because they call it a sea. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's more. Yeah, of a, we're very scientific with our terminology. Mountains have to be this high, right. and if they're not that high, it's not a mountain. Hey, we're gonna stick with friendly. The hills are friendly, friendly. and the sea is friendly. It yeah, is. But the point the is, with a pair of binoculars, you could spy. You could spy on the neighbors across this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the waters were big. certainly chaos in this story. But yes. that's the image that you're supposed to pick they up here. Chaotic. And an ancient reader would have done that seamlessly. Right. They would have understood it in a way that we don't. We read that and we think, well, that's so interesting because hydrogen and oxygen, that's not what you're supposed to pull pressure. up here. You're supposed to connect this to the supernatural world. Now, when they see him, what do they say? In verse 26 says, When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. (laughs) That's how the ancients viewed this. Mm -hmm. The waters are connected with the dead. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just the normal sea. What's happened to the sea? Unseen wind is whipping it up. What's going on here? Mm -hmm. There's this element of fear and the unknown. The chaos is there. Keep going. Verse 27 says, But Jesus spoke unto them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. I love that. Take courage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm here. And I think we may end it there. We may not get to the point where we have Peter jump out of the boat, although we know that he does. But what was Jesus trying to tell us by walking on the water? 
I don't think he was just trying to say, look what I can do. He was trying to show you that even in the chaos, I am with you. I am that I am. And the only way that peace comes upon the waters is through him. And so the disciples seeing this are understanding something that a modern reader may struggle with because of our lack of context and understanding the way that the ancients viewed their world. They didn't see Caesarea Philippi as just another town. They saw it as a supernatural place. And for Jesus to go there and to declare himself to be God is to declare war against the darkness. Mm -hmm. To walk across the waters is to declare war against the darkness. Uh, we have a sport in America. Uh, we like our football, college football. And normally in the middle of the field will be a logo of whatever school that is. But if, if somebody goes out and starts trampling on the logo, the other team, for instance, decides to celebrate something on the logo, that's an insult. They'll get mad about it. It'll be in the news the next day. This is what Jesus is doing. He's taking their picture and he's mocking them and saying, I tread on you. Which reminds me of Genesis where God gave a promise to the woman and he was told that you will bruise his heel but the Messiah will bruise your head. Christ is walking over the powers of chaos. And so I know this podcast is a little bit weird. We're out of our comfort zone here at a, at a dining room table, uh, and we've been fighting off waiters and random South Africans who are coming in yeah. by the busload here. As uh, shout out to our South African is. listeners. Yeah. We love you guys. Uh, I kind of hope you're here. Uh, but anyway, uh, we are loving our time here. But um, before we jump off, you guys got any thoughts or things you'd like to bring up? That's I, all I had. All I was I was looking at, you know, after all this happens um, and Jesus is telling this, I'm going back to where uh, he calls himself the Christ. But he says uh, in verse 20, he says, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Like, here's, here's making, again, a declaration, I think, against the powers and principalities in this location. Right. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't yet time for, for the humans to know. Even yeah. though the demons, like, cry out, hey, you're this. I want everyone to think about that for a second. If you're out there listening, I want you to think about that. What if the declaration that Peter made was not for people, but for other things that were listening? Hmm. What if what was happening was not simply Jesus saying, did you memorize your facts? Did you learn your catechism? Mm -hmm. What if Peter's message there is much bigger? It would be made clear, abundantly clear to people that Jesus is the Messiah. But what Peter said there seems to have had an audience in the unseen world. <laughs> so my friends, I hope that you're having a wonderful day. We're gonna sign off here and may the Lord bless and keep you. Uh, if you're interested in joining our Facebook group, we would love for you to join us. It's free. Just click on the Two Trees podcast, and uh, you're welcome to join our conversations. Uh, if the Lord leads you, leave us a review, and uh, we'd love to get some feedback from you. And my friends, I hope that all is well, because I want you to remember that Jesus is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, mighty and awesome.